I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, friends, to the Stream Police podcast from OverdueReview.com, episode two on May 10th, 2015. How about that? Stepping it up already on episode two. Just gonna let you groove to that for a minute. Now this show, uh, I was looking for something to kind of get us started with a with a boom. I mean, there's tons of songs that I would love to play at the opening of the Stream Police podcast. Um, maybe not so on the nose as like the Dream Police by Cheap Trick. Um, which the show is, I guess, loosely named after. But, you know, something just to kind of kick us into uh, into high gear. But the problem with that is then you've got to pay the artist and you've, you've, got, to, you've got to go through all the, you know, the, the, the hoops. And I don't want to end up like Robin Thicke. So I'm not going to set us up for that. So I went looking around on the Internet. And I'm like, who will give us music for free? Well, there's a number of websites that will give you music for free as long as what you're re- using the music in is non-commercial. And basically, it means you're not making money on it. And when I heard that, I was like, well, the Stream Police podcast is a perfect candidate for uh, for these Creative Commons uh, songs. So I got to thank the uh, guy who did the music. Definitely going to give him his due. Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. thought it was a nice little kind of like free jazz kicking number to start us off here on the show. So, yeah, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com. If you're looking for free music, that's uh, one of the places to get it. Uh, welcome back to the Stream Police Podcast. I really appreciate you guys checking out Episode 1. We had uh, quite a few listens to it. Uh, not a ton, but, um, you know, it's Episode 1. We're, we're kind of slowly, slowly building this thing up. And as we're starting it out, we're doing it about once every two weeks. Once every two, Not about, but once every two weeks instead of weekly, um, just because, you know, we want to kind of ramp it up a little bit. You know, maybe when we start getting a little traction, a few more listeners, we'll ramp it up to uh, once a week. Because believe it or not, it does take some work to sound this good. Um, I'm Clint Davis, the uh, head uh, editor and uh, movie and TV writer at OverdueReview.com. Check us out on the web. Uh, in a little bit, we'll be checking in with our music editor and writer, Andy Sedlak. It's a, it's a tidy little staff at Overdue, but uh, we make we make do. Um, all right. You know, last week on the show, I was I was in my home studio smoking a stogie. I'm going to repeat that again because it seemed to have worked well this week. We have this week Uh, a little Perla Del Mar is what I'm going to ease my uh, ease my nerves with this week, I guess. Hold on a second. Let me give this thing a light. (sighs) 
All right. And we're off and rolling on episode two of the Stream Police podcast. Uh, a lot of things to get to this week. I mean, mostly on the show, I've, I've kind of made it to where we're going to talk about a lot of TV. But uh, that's not all I want to talk about. I want to talk about movies as well, give recommendations, give my take on some things, and, and answer emails when we get some emails in. Uh, definitely love to take your questions or any titles that maybe you're wondering, should I waste my time watching this or will I be rewarded if I watch this? I mean, especially on TV shows, if you have like a series that you've been wanting to get into, maybe you can throw it out there. And if I've watched it, I'll certainly give you a an honest take on it. If I haven't seen it, I'll, uh, I'll be honest and tell you that as well. I'm not just going to go on Google and try to become an overnight expert on it. But um, yeah, so uh, definitely hit us up with emails. Uh, my email address um, is theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E clintdavis at gmail.com. And uh, Andy's for music requests is sedlakjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, journal at gmail.com. Let's get into the meat of the program here. I want to start things off by talking about a movie. I, like many of you uh, probably that are listening to this, went out last weekend and caught the new, uh, the, the latest money-grabbing film from Disney Pictures and Marvel Studios, Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, just I've lost count, just the latest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And when I say I've lost count, it might sound like a dismissive remark, but no, I'm, I'm truly, I, I love these movies, and I'm truly impressed with them. I've watched every single one of them, a couple of them numerous times, and um, I'm going to write about actually all of them coming up in a post on OverdueReview.com. I'm going to rank every one of them, and as new ones come out, I'll continue to uh, update that list. But uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, I, you know, I thought that it was, uh, people were kind of ragging on it, kind of dumping on it a little bit, but I didn't feel like it deserved that. I mean, it was still a fine film, um, especially for, you know, the action adventure genre and the, the superhero genre. Um, was it as revolutionary or as maybe fun to watch as the first Avengers movie was a few years ago? No, but I'll be completely honest with you, very few movies I've ever seen in the action or superhero genre have been as fun as the first Avengers. I mean, it was truly one of the all-time greats in that genre. Um, so if you somehow missed that, you've been under a rock or you just didn't think it was your bag, uh, it, I mean, check out the first Avengers. And then this new one, um, it, it was still, I mean, it was it was still very fun and it was still a very good movie. Um, if it wasn't in this series, then then I think people would have maybe a better view on it just because we've come to expect so much. Uh, but the the strength of this new Avengers movie was the fact that they made two of the characters who kind of get forgotten about and lost in the shuffle, um, the characters played by Scarlett Johansson and Jeremy Renner, the uh, a, a guy named Hawkeye who shoots arrows and stuff. I mean, it's kind of lame compared to the Hulk and Iron Man and, and uh, uh, Captain America and all them. But um, And then Black Widow, who's Scarlett Johansson's character. They really took time to make those characters into people that you actually cared about. And I think that goes a long way because this world that they've created, this Marvel Cinematic Universe, is so impressive. And every time they have Stan Lee, the guy who, like, you know, created Marvel Comics and and helped create a lot of these characters a long time ago, he makes a cameo in every Marvel movie. And, I mean, this guy has to just be so – I mean, he has to be so bummed, first off, that so late in his life, all of this money is just being poured on him. Not that Stan Lee, I think, ever had a problem with finances, um, at least not in the last 30, 40 years. Uh, But, I mean, it's just like the the guy is – I don't know how old he is, but, I mean, he's pretty old. and He kind of looks like Hugh Hefner or something. 
Um, but uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm real happy for him. I think that this has been great for Marvel. It's been really great for Disney, uh, and these movies and the way that they've made them, the seriousness that they've tackled them with, the directors they've gotten, the actors they've gotten, really give me hope for the Disney Star Wars films, and especially the fact that they took all of George Lucas's idea and threw him down the toilet, uh, which is probably what they should have done with the first. Uh, who knows if Disney had stepped in maybe in 1999 before the prequels, then we wouldn't have uh, have that mess of films. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a- Avengers Age of Ultron, definitely give it a recommendation to go see it, especially if you've seen all the movies. If you haven't seen the other movies, I think it's going to be hard for you because the plot is very hard to keep up with, even if you've seen all of them. I feel like you have to have, like, read all the comics, like every comic ever written under the Marvel banner to really be able to follow the storyline. Cause I'm sitting there like, what the hell are the infinity stones? Why have I seen this blue guy who looks like Hellboy before? I mean, what do I remember him from? And then I got to go home and look it up on Wikipedia and figure out, Oh yeah, uh, that's Thanos played by uh, Josh Brolin. I guess he'll be a bigger character coming up in, in some of the later movies, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, the plot's a little bit dizzying. So definitely see the other movies, at least the first Avengers movie before you go out and, and check out this new Avengers Age of Ultron. But I, I give it a, a definitely a recommendation. I'd probably give it, if I had to rank it on five stars, I'd probably give it three stars. If you believe in peace, then let us keep it. I think you're confusing peace with quiet. Uh-huh. What's the vibranium for? I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Um, which is still good. Not as great as the first one, which I probably would have given about a four and a half star. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the the second one still still very strong, and they really have not made a bad movie since the the Hulk one that had Edward Norton in it. But I think that's like the bastard child of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, anyways. All right, so moving on, let's get to TV. Um, some big things coming up on TV before the next time we are going to talk. And then some that have happened since the last time we talked. First off, the Gotham season finale stayed in the superhero vein. Uh, the Gotham season finale aired on Fox on May 4th. I don't know if you've watched it. I'm not going to give spoilers away on this show because everybody watches things at a different pace now. And the whole idea of the show is that you're going to stream things. I'm just giving out recommendations. And Gotham, if you have not sat down and watched this yet, if you have Hulu Plus, which is where I know it is, um, it'll probably become to Netflix or somebody will, will get it. Um, give Gotham a whirl because if you enjoy Batman and the whole mythology behind Batman, you'll love it. But not even that. I mean, if you just like police procedurals, I think you'll get into it as well. It's just cool seeing these characters, even if you didn't know them from Adam, like even if you didn't know anything about the Penguin or um, about uh, Carmine Falcone or Bruce Wayne, even uh, the Riddler. It's just fun watching these characters kind of come to life before your eyes. Uh, and, And I have to say, the most impressive thing about Gotham, Kevin Riley, the guy who used to be who used to direct programming at Fox, um, he's the one that greenlit Gotham before he got the hell out of Fox, and now he's working at Turner. But Kevin Riley, this is just another notch in this guy's belt. Um, if you don't know Kevin Riley and you and you follow TV at all, this is a guy that I mean, I don't know how you don't know him if you follow TV because he's a guy who greenlit Gotham, he greenlit The Last Man on Earth, and Empire, the biggest hit of the last year. Um, all three, I haven't seen Empire, but Last Man on Earth and Gotham, I've watched every episode, and they are fantastic shows. Um, and Empire, from the ratings it's getting, I mean, I can't say, I don't know if it's a great show, but, um, I mean, clearly popularity does go a long way when it comes to television. In fact, it goes the longest way uh, when it comes to television. Um, the season of Gotham, the first season, got stronger as it went. It started out a little bit like, what is? what are they trying to do here? They're introducing too many of these like big-time name-brand villain characters in the first episode. But they kept building up steam as the season went on. 
and they kept dimming the lights as the season went on. And by the end of the season, I'm surprised that Gotham stayed at 8 p.m. on Monday nights for for Fox because at 8 o'clock, I mean, it's a little – I feel like it's a little dark and – leans a little bit too much toward TVMA territory to be on at 8 o'clock. I mean, I could see it more being on at 10. And you would think, I mean, it's a superhero show, but this is a this is Batman. I mean, Batman's the darkest of all the superheroes anyways, of all the big-time superheroes. And so it, it fits in the vein of this show. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the show got a little rough toward the end as far as the violence and everything goes. I enjoyed it, but, you know, for kids, if you want to watch it with your kids because they like Batman, I don't know if I'd recommend Gotham for that kind of viewing. Um, they introduced a character late, later on uh, in the last few episodes called the Ogre, and that storyline and Riddler's kind of slow descent from being a good guy into being just like uh, completely being taken over by madness. Um, I thought they were outstanding. It was kind of a slow burn toward the end, and that's – I mean that's really when you get into great television territory. It wasn't instant payoffs. Um, yeah, the show just went to very dark places um, that I haven't really seen on many network, like, comic book series. Not that there have been that many of those over the years, but this one especially stood out because it is, it's is—it's very dark. Uh, the big surprise from this show, I like to pick out actors who, to me, I didn't know them or I didn't expect them to be very good coming into a series, and then they just kind of, like, over time, you're like, man, this, this, this guy or this girl is just outstanding. Uh, Robin Lord Taylor is the big surprise, surprising actor from uh, Gotham. He's the guy who plays the Penguin. Oswald Cobblepot. And to me, he's been a big surprise. Uh, he, he's just been kind of magnetic to watch. He's awkward as hell. He's got the worst hair. He walks, you know, he waddles like the penguin, as you'd expect. But he's he's something about him. I mean, you just, you can always see the wheels turning. And this guy is, I think, going to be uh, a really exciting watch on this show. And, and who knows, maybe it'll turn into something else. I'd like to see him in a more, like, subdued role maybe than this kind of cartoony villain that he's playing on this show. Um, also on Gotham, Donald Logue, who is just always, he's funny. He's just solid. Uh, Donald Logue has uh, also proven his greatness once again um, in Gotham, playing the partner of uh, of uh, Jim Gordon, who eventually becomes you know Commissioner Gordon. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, the, the Gotham season finale aired since the last time we talked. And, and I got to say, it was a really strong first season. Looking forward to that show coming back in uh, season two. Um, another show that's going to be going off the air by the time we talk next time is a show called American Crime and staying in the dark vein of slow burn programs. American Crime is very much like this. It's been airing on ABC to much uh, critical acclaim. The finale is going to be Thursday, May 14th. Um, this one is also on Hulu Plus. I don't know who's going to end up having the rights to it after that, but uh, give it a watch. I, this show has been really interesting. It's one of those, again, I, I talked last week about um, Secrets and Lies, and I said it was that was kind of a dumb show. This is like the opposite of that. This is very smart. At, at times, maybe a little bit too lofty. I mean, once again, we are talking about network TV here, and this show is kind of like giving us a dissertation on racial profiling and race uh, relations between police and 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 not even just police and and citizens, but it's just it's got all these things going on um, in this show, and it, it's very much it's a deep program. So, American Crime, give it some time if you're going to watch it. Don't expect it to be an instant payoff uh, kind of program. It's not even an investigate an investigatory show. It's really just a show, like I said, about politics in America, but not in the way that like House of Cards is about politics. This is about like politics that you and I live with on the streets and that um, especially people of other uh, races uh, in this show, especially it deals with black people and it deals with um, Latinos. And it's just uh, it's it's been a very strong show. It was written by the guy 
um, that uh, wrote 12 Years a Slave and uh, David O. Russell's Three Kings. John Ridley is his name. He created the show, directed some episodes, wrote, I believe, I don't know if he wrote every episode, but the majority of them. And it's definitely a show that fits into a very singular narrative voice. Like you can tell one guy pretty much oversaw it all the way through. Um, and there are not there have not been a lot of shows like that on network TV over the years. But this one's pretty lofty. I mean, this is one that could have been aired on HBO or Showtime. Um, and speaking of that, they do they do do something on American Crime that kind of is one of my pet peeves when I watch TV. You see it more now, um, and that is writing like curses into the show. You know, writing words like shit into the show that are never going to air on ABC. So instead of like just not writing those words, they write them in, they they use them, and then you've got like this awkward like second of silence whenever someone says it. They don't bleep it, but they have like a, a second of silence. And this isn't the same thing that like Arrested Development did back in the day on Fox where they purposefully wrote curses in just so they could bleep them and it was actually really funny. Uh, this is like they I don't know if they knew what network it was going to be on or they just said, screw it, we're going to go ahead and, and write it as if it were an HBO Showtime show. But that does kind of get distracting at times. Um, the acting on this show is really great. It's got Felicity Huffman. It's got uh, Oscar winner Timothy Hutton in it. Um, and then it's got some very surprising actors who also show up big time. Uh, one guy I want to point out in particular is a guy named Richard Cabral. I don't know. Um, I didn't really know him. He, I guess he was in the Jake Gyllenhaal movie End of Watch, which I've been meaning to watch for forever. Uh, but this guy is a former gang member. He's got tons of tattoos all over him, and he plays a gang member in the show. But I guess in real life, he was a former he he was a gang member, kind of like how he, how he portrays it in the program. That got over that, cleaned his life up, and has become now an actor on a network television show, really in one of the main roles and, and doing a great job. So Richard Cabral, uh, I, I give him applause, and I, I look forward to seeing him in some other things. Hopefully, not always playing like a gang member. I hope he can get out of that. You know, just because he's got ink. Um, doesn't mean that he's got to always play gang members. I mean, this is 2015. I think we can move past that. Um, another surprise from that show, I want to point out an actress named Caitlin Gerard. She, I guess, played small parts in a couple of movies I really enjoyed in the last few years, Magic Mike and The Social Network. Um, and, I mean, I mean, these are movies done by really weighty directors, Steven Soderbergh and David Fincher. And if she was good enough to be on those, then I guess it would make sense that she'd be good enough to be on a show like this. And she plays like a drugged out, kind of like trying to recover but not really um, uh, young white girl who has a family that cares about her, but she doesn't really give a shit about that. And she runs around with a, a, a boyfriend who they're kind of like lost in fantasy together all the time. I mean, he's a criminal. And it's just it, the whole – show is just it's it's interesting it's got interesting characters and I, I definitely wholeheartedly recommend american crime i've been very impressed um with that show which i didn't know if i was going to be because the promos for it were so good i was almost like there's no way the show's going to be good because the promos are too good but it has lived up to those fantastic promos that abc was running uh before it started airing so definitely watch american crime when you get a chance to do that um and also i would be remiss completely remiss if i did not mention that by the time we next speak one of the great shows in the history of television, and in my opinion, the best show of the last 10 years, and I would say the best show on television since The Sopranos went off the air, since The Wire went off the air, AMC's Mad Men airs its series finale on May 17th. So before the next time we talk, I will definitely be talking about that on the next episode. Again, no spoilers. But Mad Men, if you, for whatever reason, have never gotten into this show, um, it's not, I guess, for everybody. It definitely is a slow burn. It's a it's a character study. Um, but if you like The Sopranos, I would definitely think that you would love Mad Men. I mean, it's written by a guy who had a hand in writing some of the greatest Sopranos episodes, Matt Weiner. 
and he knows better than anybody perhaps how to get into the head of a character and just psychoanalyze them for like six, seven straight seasons. And that's what they've done with the character of uh, Don Draper, played by John Hamm in Mad Men. And, and not even just him, but several other characters. But it's definitely a show that revolves around one guy. But what is happiness? It's a moment before you need more happiness. I won't settle for 50% of anything. I want 100%. You're happy with your agency? You're not happy with anything. You don't want most of it. You want all of it. And I won't stop until you get all of it. Thank you for your time. Thank you for stopping by. Well, you drink if you wipe the blood off your mouth. If for whatever reason you never got around to watching Mad Men, I wholeheartedly give that one a recommendation as well. And wonder where the hell you've been. Uh, but the finale is coming up this week, so I will uh, for sure be talking about that, giving some reaction uh, next week on the show. But I imagine that one's going to take a little bit of time to sink in. All right. Um, I'm going to take a break from talking. I'm going to toss it over to Andy Sedlak, our music editor, to uh, see what he's got cooking this week and uh, find out what his recommendations are. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's great to be with you again. Um, you know, the first time out, we were sort of... Um, Sort of kind of playing with formula, you know, you try this and I'll try this and then we'll, you know, just like that. If you can hear that, we'll just slap it all together there and, and see, uh, we'll see what we can come up with. But I'll tell you this, you know, the first episode was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Clint and I both have a bit of a background um, in you know speaking through a microphone. So to do that again uh, in sort of a freeform style was was really tremendous. And if you listen to the first episode, thank you so much. Um, you know, it, again, it goes back to this whole thing of you know we're not getting paid for this. It's work on top of work. Um, and if you enjoy it, or if you're able to sort of get something out of it, like what like what we do, then then that's perfect. You know, it completes the circle, so to speak. We'll start here with something we like, and hopefully give you something that you like as well. And we kind of feed off of each other, and and that's how it'll roll in the best of all possible worlds. And hopefully that's what's happening right now. So what's uh, what have I been doing in the past couple weeks? You know, I'm looking through the headlines on my phone before I came in today, uh, and it's Bieber, and it's uh, you know the same old. You know, if I read another Katy Perry left shark, uh, you know, story sto- story in air quotes. 
Um, it, it's a strange time in music right now. It's a strange time um, because there's, we're, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like <clears throat> every now and then you'll have a sound and something prolific will happen. And then, you know, then it becomes watered down inevitably. Um, and then something will happen to sort of shake it up. And that's always the exciting moments for me is when something is happening that, that will kind of shake things up a little bit. Um, and you've got a few uh, uh, shakers, so to speak, going on right now that are, that are, doing, uh, that are doing good things and, uh, and their work is good. Kendrick Lamar certainly comes to mind. Um, but, you know, but we're still, I think, waiting on, on maybe someone – to kind of emerge and to make this like a moment, you know, um, we're looking for that artist, and it could be a few people that are doing some great things right now. But we'll see uh, how the uh, how the cookie crumbles, as as they say. So as a result of sort of a lack of a moment, right? The lack of a moment. Um, a lot of times we, we find ourselves looking back, and that can be a profitable thing as well. Uh, one of the, the big uh, releases over the past couple weeks, I think it was just released last week, is the new Kurt Cobain documentary on HBO. Uh, it's called Montage of Heck. All right, and a couple things to understand about the documentary before we dive into it here. Uh, one, it took like 13 years to make. It's uh, it's a worthwhile project, most certainly, most certainly a very worthwhile project. Uh, the other thing to understand after that, it took like 13 years to make, is that Courtney Love had no part in its creation. She was interviewed in the film, <clears throat> but she had no part in its creation. That's important to understand because once you understand that, then maybe you won't be tempted to look at the film through the Courtney Love lens. Okay? And um and if you do, <laughs> because if you were to do that, uh it could be uh, that could be ugly or you may jump to conclusions. So let me say this about Montage of Heck. I watched it a couple times. Um you know, I work weird hours. My wife works weird hours. So by the time I come home, she's in bed, and it's just me and the dog. And uh, and so we'll we'll catch up on our favorite music documentaries. So so the dog and I watched this <clears throat> a couple nights, and uh, it's a two hour film. The first half is is a little slow. Uh, it it it, uh, it toils away in the childhood, in my opinion, for a little bit too long. But it's the second half of the film that really comes alive. It's the second half of the film where um, they uh, where we hit Nirvana and we hit fame and we hit drug usage. And then you've got unprecedented access to his journals you've got uh his artwork that is being shown uh throughout the film which is very telling could be kind of grotesque avant-garde but it's an insight into his mind and the way that his mind works uh and that's the type of insight that you cannot get in an archived mtv interview from 94 you know, or, or whatever. Uh, it's just, it's not there, you know. I mean, he was not uh, an upfront, transparent person. He, the way that he would express himself or give insights into himself uh, were done in, in other forms, which makes the artwork 
in the journals all the more important. Um, I will say that there are uh, certainly uncomfortable moments in the film. Um, first of all, Kurt Cobain, if you just, just the look of Cobain, he looks frail. In fact, I think there's a line in the film uh, to where they were describing his appearance, and and it was described as he appeared that he could break in any minute. Literally, break in half. The dude looked frail. Uh, And obviously there were some drug issues there, uh, which, which they hit on as well. You know, the film is good about showing the warts, so to speak. Um, so check it out. You know, I, I, I will say I found it interesting that Dave Grohl was not uh, interviewed in the film. Literally everybody else in that universe was. Uh, Dave Grohl was not. Um, again, he has had disagreements with Courtney Love over the years, but Courtney Love, once again, to underline the point, had no part in the making of this movie. Uh, again, that is important to understand. But it starts in childhood, and I'm sure there's a psychologist out there where if they were to hear this, it would just blow their minds. Um, but but I, I, I think they spent too much time in childhood. I, I got a little a little tired of watching the old home movie thing of uh, Kurt Cobain's birthday parties and then his parents' divorce. And I know that that psychologist out there is going to say, what, are you kidding me? What are you kidding me? That sets the precedent for everything. What do they say? Everything that you do in life is a reflection of what happened to you before the age of eight. But um, but anyway, um, that that's just my opinion. I but I felt like the second half of the film that hit Nirvana and some of the um, some of the the fallout, so to speak, or the aftermath of Nirvana. I thought that was truly fascinating. Um, He's an interesting guy, a fragile person, uh, very much uh, an inward type of guy, as I'm sure you know. And and I think what makes the film interesting is that all these years after Cobain and after Nirvana and after the way things ended, he is still uh, he is still looked at as a he's a very uh, polarizing figure. You know, I think if if I I talk to my friends. And I bring up Kurt Cobain. There's an immediate, an immediate opinion there. Just boom. Here's what I think of that guy. Boom. This is what I. And, and it's you know it's definite. And um, the film succeeds in, um, in in sort of showing different sides to that person, which could then make you um, out of necessity reconsider um, maybe the way that that artist has been pigeonholed over time. I wish I was like you Easily amused If I'm my last assault Everything is my fault um, So, there it is, Montage of Heck. Um, it, 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 like I say, good film. Check it out. It's uh, running on HBO, still you know, airing on HBO. Uh, flip through the guide there, find it, record it, watch it when you get a second. It's dark, it's brooding, but it's a film about Kurt Cobain, and that those things uh, should be expected. Not a pick me up, <laughs> you know, not a pick me up though. Keep it in mind. Um, so you know, but also catching up on my other music documentaries. I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan, but I haven't had cable for a few years. Um, you know, I, I do work in media, uh, so I, I got caught up on Crossfire Hurricane. I'm not sure if you guys remember this uh, documentary that was um, 
released a few years ago. I think it was released on the eve of like their 50th anniversary tours. Um, and it was it was good. They did new interviews for the film, but they were not filmed during the interviews. They just gave recorded interviews. So all you hear uh, from the Stones um, are their voices over top of... Um, you know, sort of the the archive footage of various tours and various um, uh, you know talk show appearances and that kind of thing. And it was interesting, you know. I mean, these guys are quote machines. I mean, come on, Mick Jagger, uh, you know, Keith Richards, Charlie Watts, a little bit quieter, of course. Um, but then also uh, Ronnie Wood. And the, the the problem that I had with with the film is I felt like it just didn't go far enough. These films never go far enough. They always want to hang out in the '60s, and that's fine. You know, that's that's they did some great work. You know, Lord, Lord knows, Lord knows, there was some wonderful, wonderful work being done in the '60s and '70s. But you know, as a viewer, sometimes I get tired of um, of films that just hang out in that era. You know, as if, you know, again, the Stones were were at the time celebrating a 50-freaking-year career. Um, and to cover 50 years, maybe you would have needed a miniseries. Maybe that's what you should have done. I'm not sure. But anyway, the problem I had with the film is that it was sort of ended in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. It was kind of like, you know, all right, Charlie Watts, jo- Charlie Watts, all right, Ronnie Wood joined the band, and that was it. Lived happily ever after. Rode off into the sunset. And, of course, that's not what happened. They had a falling out in the 80s. They all did different things. They, they began solo careers, and they came back together. They recorded um, uh, the Bridges to Babylon album. They went on the Bridges to Babylon tour in 97, which was the biggest freaking tour of all time at the time um they were you know they maintained these outlaw lifestyles yet lived in these lush uh apartments in houses and it was just one of the most interesting um uh, uh conundrum became one of the most interesting conundrums of a band in the history of music but they stopped the documentary right before um they grew up so to speak um, the, one of the things that was mentioned in the documentary, it was Keith Richards, who again is just a million dollar, uh, is, is always good for a million dollar quote, was that uh, they, when they formed, they really looked at themselves as an anti-show business band. And when you look at um, some of the bands at the time, matching suits, stand here, sing this, tilt that way, and the Stones were not. And I thought that really spoke to sort of the origins of the band. We're anti-show business. We were the anti-show business band. In fact, I think Richards made a remark where he says, that bored us. Show business, I mean, show business bored us. So we looked at ourselves as the anti-show business band. I thought that was a great quote. Um, but again, I thought there were other things they could have done. Um, Ronnie Wood is an interesting guy in all himself. He is in the last five minutes of this film. Uh, even Charlie Watts. You know, Charlie Watts, his his day job is, day job is as a drummer for the Stones. But, but Watts, you know, his real love by all accounts, is jazz and big band music. And in fact, I think he has uh, like a jazz combo that he will tour with occasionally. So, I mean, I thought there were there were other directions that they could have gone in. Um, but um, but if you're looking for, I, I think, just sort of that, that classic 
Stones at their height, bag boy, outlaw. They covered every arrest in the 60s. I will tell you that. Every every arrest in the 60s, every smart-ass interview um, was covered in the film. And like I say, there's some neat sort of reflective dialogue to go with that now. So, you know, it's it's a very very, um, um, uh, quintessential Stones documentary a couple hours. But like I say, they hit the the 60s and 70s and then drops off. Um, so anyway, but at least the stones are still going strong. You know I mean? I feel like every time I look at freaking Twitter or I look at these home pages or I open the, the Rolling Stone app or whatever I'm reading, man, it, you know, we're it's just, you know, these, these legends are, are in rough shape, you know? I mean, so many, it seems like over the past couple weeks have, have unfortunately passed away or um or or they like I say they're in rough health I mean BB King uh, Joni Mitchell of course we lost uh, Benny King um uh, a week and a half ago or, or so and uh and Jack Ely and the name Jack Ely is one that that not a lot of people will remember but I bet if um if we play you the song that he's famous for better ring yeah, bet it comes back real quick That's right. He uh, recorded uh, with the Kingsmen the song Louie Louie, which is one of the great nonsense rock songs of all time. And, of course, there's great liberation in nonsense, and that's really where the power of the song comes from. Um, it's funny because I think there there were a lot of there was a lot going on at the time that they recorded the song. I think it was released in '63, which would have been a year before the Beatles hit, and and, and the FBI opened an, an investigation at the time uh, into the song. Uh, so now keep in mind the FBI investigating the song Louie Louie. Um, this is uh, paid for. This would have been paid for by what your grandparents' tax dollars. You know, I and not you, you can't say enough about it. It's it's nonsense. It's beautiful. It is so freeing to hear such, you know, you know, you can't understand a, a freaking word that Jack is saying. Uh and of course it's been made famous over and over again, you know, you got the original recording. And then you've got the recording uh that uh that surfaced a few years later in the movie Animal House. And really after its inclusion in Animal House, that's when hey man, that's what I'm telling you, the song had cemented its place. It's had cemented its place in uh garage rock culture, in frat culture, in in the American consciousness. And I think it's been covered over a hundred times or, or or so. Um so anyway, there you go. Uh Jack Ely, a legend uh for his Delivery, the haphazard delivery, um, which again sort of made you feel it, it was accessible. I think that's the power of Louis Louis. It's accessible. Anybody can sing it because nobody can sing it. There you go. Uh, and again, Benny King, BB uh, King. You look at these guys, and these were performers that would always be on stage with a smile on their face. Uh, and that was uh, that was good to see. So you know, it's it's a tough time. You know, when when I, I suppose the inevitable uh, creeps in, 
But uh, Benny King and Stand By Me, uh, you know, it's a standard. It's a standard. Leo, we just lost Percy Sledge. When a Man Loves a Woman is a standard. These are perfect recordings, perfect songs. And from what I understand, Benny King never intended to record Stand By Me. In fact, he had it uh, ready to go for the Drifters. They threw him out of the group. He was all of a sudden solo, was at a uh, recording session, was at the end of the session. And they said, well, let's try this one. We got a few extra minutes left. And that song was Stand By Me. It's wonderful how how sometimes that the, the, the unexpected, the surprises can turn into just solid gems. Um, so what am I working on? I've gone to, I've gone almost 20 minutes. I hope you've stuck with me. Um, what, uh, what am I working on right now? Again, I'm a big Dave Letterman fan. I touched on that in the first podcast. I'm going to prepare a, a piece here for, for overdue about Letterman and about his, um, his, uh, sort of what he's done on the late show, but from a musical standpoint, I'm basically going to give you my favorite, at least my favorite, uh, maybe 10, uh, musical uh, guests on Letterman, specific appearances. And I think the first one, number one, I know what number one is, and I think it'll surprise you. It's one that, that's not talked about a lot, but you know, we'll post the link and all that stuff. So maybe you can relive it and uh, and kind of see where uh, where I'm coming from there. And it, it, it's a tremendous it's a tremendous performance, not made famous by a household name, I'll tell you that. But anyway, that'll be coming here um, in the very near future for Overdue Review. As always, folks, I, I, I'm so glad to be doing this podcast. Uh, I think it's fun. We're having a great time with it. And uh, stick around. The stream police coming at you. For now, thanks so much. All right, let's get back to movies real quick. Um, since the the last time that we talked, uh, Cinco de Mayo came up and went, and I was thinking about Cinco de Mayo and thinking about movies, and I'm like, I think it would be interesting to kind of throw together a list of, of my favorite movies I would recommend that are set in Mexico um, or made by Mexican directors, but movies especially that are set in Mexico for a majority of the time, maybe not the whole movie, but they have good Moments of the film are set in Mexico. So for Cinco de Mayo, in honor of that, rather than put it on the website, I'm going to give you here uh, my list of movies that I would recommend uh, to watch maybe for next year on Cinco de Mayo or hell, just any time. Just throw back some tequila, pop in one of these films, and you will have a hell of a time. My favorite movie set in Mexico. First off, I'm going to start off with a Mexican director, Alfonso Cuaron. He's the guy who directed Gravity, Children of Men, uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. He did a movie called E2 Mama Tambien. Uh, a while ago, this was like in the original like days of indie and Sundance and and just th- this movie is like one of the sexiest films you'll ever watch. It's sexy. It's at times just awkward and excruciating. But it's about two young uh, boys. They are they're teenagers who go on a road trip with a woman who's she's an older woman. She is married to like one of the kids. I think it was his uncle. Um, but she go they go all go on a road trip together. These three people are all like lost mentally and we find out later on in the film why some of them are lost mentally and the reasons vary and, and some of the reasons are more important than others uh, but I mean it's just it's a very intimate movie road trip film and um, you really grow to uh, to enjoy these characters through the, the end of it that movie is on Netflix now I know uh, so give E2 Mama Tambien a, a spin if you haven't um, and if you don't mind subtitles because it is in Spanish um, and I never recommend watching a movie dubbed 
I, don't, I mean, I don't care. If you don't like subtitles and don't watch foreign movies, but don't watch them dubbed because it makes them suck every time. I mean, just see my review um, on the website of Ghost in the Shell. I made the biggest mistake and watched that dubbed. I still gave it four and a half out of five stars. If I had watched it, though, in Japanese with the subtitles, I would have uh, definitely, I think, given it a five. But for whatever reason, I think the DVD I had only had the English uh, dubbed version. So, uh, anyways, E2 Mama Tambien. That's the first Mexican movie that I'd recommend for Cinco de Mayo. Also, uh, another one that I really like a lot. This is another kind of like sexy, intimate movie. Not really exciting, but a, a great movie about a great character, uh, Frida, which is not really about a character, but a real woman, Frida Kahlo, the um, the uh, famous artist. She's played by Selma Hayek in the movie. It's got Alfred Molina in it. It's got Edward Norton in it. Um, and directing the whole thing is Julie Taymor. She's the uh, she's the woman who brought The Lion King to Broadway in the way that you've all seen it. I mean, just the crazy uh, live action the people wearing like the um, just like artistic animal costumes. And she's she's really a very uh, a visionary for sure. Definitely an auteur if I can throw that word out there. Um, and Frida, to me, is her best work um, on film anyways, and, and just, to me, one of the best biopics of all time. So if you like art um, and if you like movies kind of about female leads and you're looking for something to watch, and if you like movies that are set in Mexico, Frida, definitely one I would recommend. That one is on Netflix and Amazon Prime streaming uh, right now as well. Definitely add that to your queue. Um, perhaps my favorite movie ever set in Mexico is a movie by Robert Rodriguez, another Mexican director who is famous for his work with Quentin Tarantino. Um, and he, he did a lot of, like, crappy movies, like kids' movies in recent years. So, I mean, his, his profile has gone down a little bit. I mean, he had kids, and like a lot of directors, he wanted to do some movies that his kids could watch because most of his movies, like, no kids could ever watch. Uh, but, but Robert Rodriguez's Desperado to, is probably my favorite Mexican movie, Mexican set movie, um, Ever made so uh, give Desperado a, a spin as well. It's again, it's got Selma Hayek in it and um, Antonio Banderas, and it's just a badass freaking movie. Quentin Tarantino makes a um, a great cameo, um, just as a, a completely annoying. Like he's basically playing himself, um, just telling a joke in this Mexican bar that nobody really laughs at, and I mean he ends up getting his head blown off. I mean it's just it's great. Desperado is just a lot of fun and such a cool freaking movie. Um, Antonio Banderas, complete badass in that movie. Uh, Cheech Marine is in it. He does a really good job. It's just a, it's, it's a cool movie. Um, another uh, Robert Rodriguez movie that's set in Mexico is From Dusk Till Dawn. Um, definitely give that one a spin uh, because that's one of the coolest vampire movies you'll ever see. I mean, forget about Twilight and all that. If you want to watch an ass-kicking vampire movie, this one was written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Robert Rodriguez in the mid-'90s. It's got George Clooney, uh, Tarantino co-stars in it, you know, which is hit or miss, um, Harvey Cattell, Really cool movie from Dust Till Dawn. I think that's that one's been on Netflix for a while as well. So if you, for whatever reason you never watched from Dust Till Dawn, I give it a spin. If you like B horror um, and you like vampire shooting and killing in action, I mean you can't go wrong with From Dust Till Dawn. It's just a cool, funny ass movie um, and one I definitely recommend. Why, out of all of the godforsaken shitholes in Mexico, do we have to meet here? What were they psychos? Or? They look like psychos. Is that what they look like? They were vampires. Psychos do not explode when sunlight hits them. I don't give a fuck how crazy they are. 
A couple other movies that I would recommend that are set in Mexico in honor of Cinco de Mayo. Um, I've got to give a shout to some of the old, like, Western flicks, um, especially The Magnificent Seven, 1960. Uh, You want to talk about badass and cool. I mean, some of the coolest guys ever were in this one. Steve McQueen, Yul Brenner, Charles Bronson, all, like, young, kicking ass, um, south of the border. They they play, like, a bunch of mercenaries. There's seven of them, obviously, Magnificent Seven. A bunch of, of like Western mercenaries who are like out of work, they meet up, they get paid because they're all badasses to go and help a small Mexican village free itself uh, from bandit thugs. And um, this movie to me is like one of the original versions of like The Expendables because you're getting all these great all-star actors in it and uh, just putting them together and just having a good time. And it's got some of the best music that you'll ever hear um, in a movie as well. Watch The Magnificent Seven for sure. If you can find that one, I, it was on Amazon Prime last I checked. Um, and then Clint Eastwood's A Fistful of Dollars, uh, directed by Sergio Leone. Who knew it would take you know an American uh, guy and a, an Italian director to get together and make a great Western that's set in Mexico. Uh, the movie's timeless, very cool, very straightforward. You're not going to get lost in the plot on this one. Um, and if you're just kind of looking for something to watch, you don't have to pay a ton of attention to. Um, a Fistful of Dollars is rewarding no matter how you watch it. It's just a, a freaking cool movie. That's from 1964, and I'm sure you can find that one streaming um, as well. One final recommendation of movies set in Mexico in honor of Cinco de Mayo. Um, I mentioned Steven Soderbergh earlier when I was talking about Magic Mike. Um, traffic is just one of the most like epic movies of the last 15 years um, to me, and it was a movie that wasn't set completely in Mexico, but a good deal of it is. And it's just a hell of a movie. It's got an ensemble cast. Uh, Benicio Del Toro is the guy who stars in like the, the parts that are set in Mexico. It's also got Don Cheadle. It's got Michael Douglas. Um, it, just a ton of great actors in it and a very good movie. If you like movies, if you like ensemble films um, where you've got a lot of main characters, you've got several storylines that you're juggling, trying to keep up with, and political movies – then uh, traffic, I could not recommend more. That's just uh, that's a that's an amazing film and one that is set a little bit in Mexico. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on my Cinco de Mayo film list. Moving on, uh, there was a news story that I wanted to mention here: the Full House reboot. I'm sure you've heard about this. Netflix has uh, agreed to. Um, buy the rights, I guess, to Full House, and they're going to be doing a, a rebooted, I don't know if it's going to be one one-off, one-season thing, or they're going to try to stretch it out. I don't know what is going to happen with this thing. Um, I mean, God knows all the former cast members of Full House are so busy. I mean, you know, last I checked, Dave Coulier was like living in a cardboard box somewhere under an overpass in uh, Southern California. Um, I, I mean, outside of like Bob Saget, Stamos is is probably the most active of anybody in there. I mean, Saget's been pretty active as far as his stand-up goes. Uh, but, I mean, the Olsen twins pretty much fell off the face of the earth. Um, I, I mean, really, everybody on that show kind of just – they didn't really do anything else after that show. And, and why not? I'm sure they made enough money for 20 lifetimes. But Full House is coming back. I, I just wanted to offer up a couple of thoughts on this. I don't know what you're expecting or what you think is going to happen with this show. But what I hope happens with this show – I have a I have a – a theory that Netflix has a chance to do something really great 
with this reboot, which is rather than just picking it up 20 years later, here's what's going on with the Tanner family, and oh, they're all still living together, which would be like the most pitiful thing ever, wouldn't it? I mean, Joey and, 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 and Jesse and Danny still living in, under the same roof, I mean, when they're like 60 years old. I mean, it was kind of funny, and it was still kind of sad when they were like in their 30s on the show, but it's just kind of really depressing and just awful at this point. I mean, it would start to look like a nursing home over there in San Francisco. What I hope they do, though, with this show, instead of just pick it up and do a straight, you know, nostalgia trip sitcom, is I hope they skewer the hell out of the sitcom genre that that show really helped build up um, in the last days of the sitcom genre. They have a chance to make something for an audience that's grown up and moved on or to play to a whole new audience and those that watch it with kids. I mean, either way, I think that there would be two different directions. If they decide to go with the audience who liked the show before, the millennials who grew up with it, um, people that are aged like you and I, uh, people in their, in their uh, late 20s, 30s who watched that show when it was on and who watched it on Nick at Night and all that, um, it would be really great to do like an ironic just take on the show that, that kind of just like points in the camera and, and makes fun of it. Not like totally cheesy and, and, and on the nose, but just a chance to really do like a sophisticated um, – just – a genre skewer, if you will, of the sitcom. And that's been done before, but I think with this cast, it would be kind of surreal and it would be really, I mean, it could be really funny. Um, or if they decide to go the other direction and play it to a whole new audience um, of people who want to watch it with their own kids, then I think you go the route that like Disney went with Girl Meets World, the follow-up to the Boy Meets World show, um, which is keep it kind of the same formula. Just they're older. They've got the, the kids have their own kids now. Um, and you can keep things uh, you know, like for the family. Otherwise, I mean, I'm not saying that they need to make this thing TVMA and have Danny Tanner like uh, doing a Bob Saget comedy routine every day in the kitchen. But let's just uh, let's let's grow it up a little bit and let's kind of point at it and, and laugh at it for what it is. Uh, really, I think that could be absolutely. Uh, I think that could be great. I probably still won't watch it, but you know, just saying. I've moved on from my. For my Full House days, I mean, but but Full House is like one of those shows that if you try to watch it, and I was somebody who collected like a lot of, I've collected a lot of DVDs over the years, and I was collecting TV DVDs for a while specifically, and the Full House first season DVD box set found its way into my collection, and I was like, man, I really liked this show a lot when I was uh, younger, and I, I really just, it was just fun to watch, and I liked the characters, and I thought it was cool. Um, I tried to watch that season. I think I got about four episodes in, and oh my god, it is grueling. If you try to watch a show like that, like one of those by-the-book sitcoms, three-camera setup um, with the laugh track and the whole bit, the family learning a lesson at the end of every episode, man, it gets old real fast. Um, so I, I would not recommend binge-watching Full House, maybe unless you're on something when you do it. That might make it a little bit more enjoyable. It is now 0700, and it's time to attack the enemy. Grease, grime, slime, sludge. And that's just Joey's room. Daddy's really into spring cleaning, isn't he? Steph, it may be spring cleaning to you and me, but to Dad, it's Christmas. We're going to talk about a lot of things coming up uh, down the road here on the Stream Police Podcast. I want to get to The Last Man on Earth with Will Forte on Fox. I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to talk about that uh, maybe next episode, um, at least down the road. That is, that's just been such a funny show. I would just quickly recommend you to add that to your uh, Hulu queue and watch it as soon as you can. It's really funny. If you like awkward humor like was in The Office, the, the British or the U.S. one, um, or like Parks and Rec, that kind of thing, 
it's not the style of the show where it's like a documentary style where they're talking to the camera, but it uh, definitely has all those cringe-worthy moments that you will love if you really liked watching like Michael Scott, Steve Carell's character on uh, the office. So uh, that's about going to do it for this week's edition of the Stream Police. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Again, I'm trying to do this thing every other week until we kind of build up some listenership. So uh, definitely spread the word around if you uh, know anybody who who loves TV as well and loves just consuming uh, all, all forms of media there and has it. They have a Hulu account. They've got a, uh, a Netflix account, Amazon. They don't know what to watch. There's too much crap out there to sift through. Uh, we're trying to help you keep up here on the Stream Police. Thanks to uh, Andy Sedlak for uh, chipping in with his uh, music takes this week. Uh, I would definitely urge you to go over to OverdueReview.com and read our uh, features and our reviews there. Uh, we'll be back next time. I'm Clint Davis, the uh, editor and, and movie and TV writer at, at OverdueReview.com. Email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. See you next time. Soy un hombre muy honrado que me gusta lo mejor. A mujeres no me falta ni el dinero ni el amor. Vineteando en mi caballo por la sierra yo me voy. Las estrellas y la luna ellas me dicen dónde voy. Ay, 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 ay. Ay, ay, amor. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.